Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hey, it's such a privilege to be able to share the Word of God this morning. And um, I'm excited. When, when I was younger and our church that I grew up in would speak about a week of fasting as a child and as a teenager, I was like, this is the worst. Like, my mum's going to make me fast. And at the very least, she's going to make me do the Daniel fast. Uh, which is broccoli and chickpeas, right? And we're like, great. But the older I've gotten and the more I've begun to, you know, discover just the word for myself, the more I fall in love with the practice of fasting. And I just want to really encourage us as we take time this morning just to reflect and in search the scriptures that we one, open our hearts and minds first and foremost to what the Holy Spirit wants to do, but two, that we actively remain focused. Uh, if you're like me, sitting in a room with one person speaking, you can get distracted with your own thoughts. And when we talk about something like fasting, it's so easy that we tune out because we think we've heard it all before. We understand you just don't eat food and hopefully God moves. Like, like we've got a very rudimentary thought. and like a simple, But there's more to it, I promise. And, and I think today God really wants to enlighten us. And like, like Pastor Emma said, we're heading into a week of fasting. Now, fasting, I really do believe, is something individually as believers we should be committed to in some form of rhythm that's more than once or twice a year. And, and many, many people fast a, you know, one day a week, whatever it needs to be. But for us individually, I really do you know, encourage you, fast more regularly than once or twice a year. Now, collectively and corporately as a church, we try to take a few times a year to come together and fast and focus on something that God is calling us into as a family. And so as we go through this sermon today, um, I really want to tell you, like, our vision for this year and for next year and this month, and I love what Pastor Emma said, I really do believe it's a miracle month. God is working miracles. We're seeing people enter into the kingdom, people find a place to belong uh, in the most crazy, weird ways possible. Like if we had to tell all the stories now, we'd laugh, but be so encouraged, but that's not the time. Uh, but the rise in advance right now is our vision. It's, it's what God is calling us into as a church to step up, to step forward, and to actively, intentionally begin to exercise our faith in what he has spoken over us as a church, to rise in advance. And it's like breaking camp. When an army would camp and they would begin to you know, do a, a count of their resources, of their men and what they have, at some point that camp will need to break and march towards its objective. And right now, post-COVID, and I say post-COVID because I really do believe God is beginning to move the church into a new season and a new mindset, it is to break camp. It's to leave the fears, the doubts, the frustrations behind and begin to set our eyes upon what he has called us to do and advance into as a church. And fasting is imperative for us. And just like any moment where a group of people choose to stand up, arise, and move forward and advance on something, every individual has to choose to do that. And I say this out of love, and I don't say this as a threat, this is not Larry Norman, you'll be left behind moment, but you don't have to break camp. You can choose to stay where we were, right? But if you stay where we were and the, and the church faithfully stands up, arises, and moves forward, don't blame the church that you didn't choose to do that. That was your decision. That's just the loving pastor and me giving you that little bit of encouragement. You'll come to me, Pastor Ben, I'll be, that's on you. Bro, that's on you. 
You chose to stay seated. You chose to remain in what was. We live in a world and we serve a God that is about movement, right? And there's stillness and there's different flows of movement. But right now as a church, it's a proactive movement. It's rise up. You know, and it's that whole understanding that, that the, the glory of God is beginning to rise upon what he wants us to do. And I'm excited about that. So fasting, we're looking at fasting today. I'm a firm believer in the power of fasting. And I know this not just as a scriptural truth, but as an experience in my own life. It is an important spiritual discipline we should all practice. There's a few reasons and a few benefits of fasting. However, today I want to speak to a specific application of fasting that's relevant to us in our season as we arise in advance. And it's the whole understanding that fasting tests and allows us to be equipped for the testing of our commission. Right? And it's that whole concept that, you know, when I was younger and I was really beginning to think about fasting, I thought fasting made the miracle more achievable. Right? It just gave God that little push, give us the miracle, God. <laughs> I'll fast. <laughs> oh, because the Bible says, Jesus says that this miracle needs fast and prayer. It's actually not what, what fasting's about. Fasting's not about getting the miracle. It's are you, how, do you have the character to carry the miracle? And when we fast, it equips us for the testing of the commission. Now, you'll hear this a lot in churches that, well, it's not a requirement that I have to fast. It's not about my salvation. I don't have to fast to be saved and all that. And I don't need to fast. And, and to tell you the truth, I don't think that statement's incorrect entirely. I don't think you have to fast. But in the same way, you don't have to wear a jacket when it's cold. Or you don't have to drink water when you're thirsty. You don't have to flush the toilet after you use it. You don't have to have, you can have the cross and not the power, right? You can ignore the Lord and accept the Savior, but you're not walking in the fullness of your salvation. And as we talk about salvation, we look at Jesus and, and we're a firm believer that Jesus and, and coming to, to salvation in and through him is less about what happens when I die. It's less about what happens when we die. It's not an insurance plan into heaven. It's not what happens when I die. It's that whole thought is if I believe and I, and I receive salvation in Jesus, what happens if I truly come alive? And when we do this, we realize this is not a transactional faith. This is a transformational faith. This is not how can we fill heaven. This is how do we have heaven fill us here and now, and fasting is an imperative way that we exercise that discipline and reality in our lives for the commission that God has spoken over us individually and collectively as a church. So if you want to know a very rudimentary way of looking at it, fasting is a deprivation of a fleshly need so that we can prioritize, prioritize I'm going to not say that word properly now. Prioritize. Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, uh-oh. Prioritize the spirit. So where oxygen and water and food is needed to feed the flesh, prayer, worship, fasting, and meditation of the word is what feeds the spirit. I'll say that again. Oxygen, water, and food, we use that to feed our flesh, to keep it alive, to sustain it. But it's prayer and worship and fasting and the meditation of God's scripture that feeds our spirit. And so when we fast, 
We're removing a physical need. And we are forcing the body to be reminded of what this season we're in is about, which is it's not to lean into our flesh, but is to lean into our spirit. So as we go through a week of fasting, and you might fast all food in this week, good for you. I've tried it. I'm still praying about what God wants me to do there. If he says that to me, I'll be like, thank you, Jesus. No food for a week. It might be that God's asked you to fast a meal. There's different things you can fast. I know for some medical reasons, people can't fast food and stuff. God will speak to you to what to fast. Just don't come to me and say, God's called me to fast social media. If you need to fast social media, that's just an addiction. All right? Don't, uh, don't call, like, giving up an addiction a fast. Call that freedom. <laughs> when you give up that meal, it's not that you would think about, say you're giving up lunch, you know, and I've been there before, it's like, I've just got to get through lunch. <laughs> That's not the point. That hunger that you feel physically should be a reminder of a hunger you should desire spiritually. And so where you're not eating food and you're not drinking that water, you're praying and you're worshiping and you're fasting and you're meditating on scripture. That's the point of the fast. It's not to survive it, but to be reminded why you are in it. It's the intentional pursuit of God through a spiritual discipline. It is a discipline. We serve a very undisciplined society, do we not? And therefore fasting is one of those things that becomes difficult because we're so used to one instant response to things, right? Instant gain. But fasting is not about the instant, right? It's about the preparation of what's to come. I remember when... Uh, Pastor Emma and I arrived here in the country and all, and we've spoken about this before, all our plans and all our systems and all the things we could do in our own strength were going wrong, like terribly wrong. And you could so easily equate what happens in the physical as a confirmation that you shouldn't have come. You shouldn't have tried. You shouldn't have stepped out. You shouldn't have believed. You misheard. But when we were in that season, we firmly heard God say, hey, you need to win the spiritual battle of your integrity first if you're to carry what I have to provide for you in this physical realm. And then we, it, 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 when we fast, and we fasted a lot in that season, it fundamentally began to prepare us for the testing of our commission. And you will be tested. So individually, you have hopes and dreams. You have desires. God's called this upon your life. And maybe you haven't achieved that yet, or maybe you've felt rejected or you've failed in certain areas. But I'm here to tell you right now, God has commissioned you into something. But often what stops us walking in the commissioning is not what's happening on the outside, but what's happening on the inside. It's not a reflection of the world's integrity. It's a reflection of our integrity. The Bible constantly reminds us that the benefits of fixing the inside through Jesus, through the word, is far more beneficial for the outcomes we believe he's given us than trying to manipulate or artificially create an experience of success outwardly. That's just called a mask. So we're going to look at this story that takes place here and it happens to Jesus, and it's really important because it actually speaks to Jesus himself being tested on his commission as Savior of the world. Isn't that crazy? Because he goes through everything we go through. 
He walks it perfectly so that through his righteousness and his perfection, through his sacrifice, we can attain what God's called on our life in relationship with him. So just as you would train as an athlete to compete in an event, you would test yourself before that event, right? Would you not? Before a product, or at least a good product, leaves the factory, it gets quality tested. You know the difference between a a product that hasn't been tested and a product that has. Usually it's in the price. Before special forces go into battle, they are tested over and over and over again to see if their character and fortitude can sustain what will confront them. And in the same way, as we fast... Fasting is a spiritual preparation for the test of our commission as we lay claim, like there's an active laying claim to the calling and promises of God on us as a church and individually. And it's this aspect of fasting that we are going to look at today as it's so relevant to us. So if you have your Bibles with you or you have the app, would you turn with me to Matthew 4 verse 1 to 11 and follow along as I read. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit. This is not by chance. This is by design and purpose. The word tempted can be interchanged with the word tested. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the uh, the temple. Verse 6 says, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Can I just... Pause there and just remind us all, and we said this when it came to darkness, very, very openly acknowledging the light, that isn't it interesting that the tempter, the devil, the enemy is fully versed in scripture, fully versed in scripture, is quoting the word of God. What chance do we have if we're biblically illiterate, if our enemy understands our weapon more than we do, right? He's not going to take it easy on you doesn't take it easy on Jesus, but I love Jesus' response because he responds, okay, the devil says, for it is written. And then Jesus counters, for it is also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's the counter strike. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says, all this I will give you, for it was under his dominion at that time. All of this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. I love Jesus. He just says, away from me, Satan. Why? For it is written, worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Lord, we just thank you right now in this moment for your word that illuminates the truth, Lord God, and it leads us through the season that you've given us. Father, we give you all honor and glory for this moment to search your scripture in Jesus' name. Here marks a very important sequence. Just before this uh, 
point in Jesus' ministry, he's actually baptized. You know the story, John the Baptist baptizes him. There's a full confirmation, an audible voice from heaven, affirming Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah to come. Arrived here and now, the kingdom of earth is on the advance. There's this full commissioning. But then the Bible says straight after this moment, he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And the reason he leads Jesus into the wilderness is that Jesus, just like each and every one of us, gets the opportunity to respond to his commissioning. Each and every one of us will get the opportunity to respond to our commissioning. And so Jesus is sent into the wilderness to respond. And he fasts. He fasts so that his response to his commissioning, the testing of his integrity, character, and quality, would be faultless. He fasts for that. He doesn't fast so that everything he does beyond that point is miraculous. No, he fasts so that he could prove his character perfect, blameless, faultless, all-powerful. Isn't it beautiful that we get the same practice, but not in our strength, in his? Because we would fall short, right? We know that. But fasting in Jesus allows us to attain the same principles of characteristics that he has, to have it imputed upon us, his righteousness, exchange for our dirty, filthy rags. Jesus is using scriptures from Deuteronomy 6 to 8 to answer the devil each time. He's not making them up on the spot. He's quoting Deuteronomy. And what's interesting is that he's quoting a portion of Deuteronomy that is designed to tell how Israel was tested in the wilderness before it was to lay claim to the promised land. And where Israel failed in these three scenarios, Christ himself didn't. And because Christ doesn't, It confirms the confirmation that Jesus is the Son of God and therefore the true Israel. And he has arrived. And so what we're going to look at right now is that whole understanding of what is the three things out of the three answers of Jesus that illuminates what fasting does for us. Because it did it for him and it will do it for us. And so if you're taking notes, number one. Our number first point is this. It focuses us on being renewed and transformed by the very word of God. We see in verse 4 it says, Jesus answers, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes, that proceeds from the mouth of God. We should live. It doesn't say we shouldn't eat bread. It just says we shouldn't live on it alone. And see, this is the the beautiful dichotomy that Jesus is stretching out before us here, is that there is things in the flesh that we must consume, but it's not paramount. It's the things in the spirit we will be sustained by. See, the flesh is only for a moment, but the spirit is for eternity. And he says, well, of course you're going to have staples, but we live in a Western world and a very affluent society where we spend 90% of our time focusing on the fleshly desire and the fleshly needs or even calling what something is luxurious as a need, even though you don't need it at all. When you move house and you pack all your boxes up, how often do you realize you carry a lot of stuff you don't need, right? And you're like, oh man, I don't need this. What's even scarier is that you still take it with you. And it stays in boxes, right? Because that's the mindset we've been raised in, an affluent mindset. And then what we do is, is that we sprinkle a bit of spirituality in our life, right? A bit of dusting there. We've grabbed, you know, Tinkerbell and we shook it over our stuff and now we can fly. 
It's like Sunday services to us, right? Tinkerbell. We'll all just be lost boys going to Neverland. But Jesus says we're not to live on bread alone to the point that it is the least important thing. What staples that feed you right now that shouldn't feed you are feeding you and making you irrelevant to the world by making you of the world. See, we think because we're believers and that what we believe in is not accepted from the world makes us irrelevant. No, that makes us relevant to the world. We're giving them the option of Christ. We're giving them the avenue for salvation through how we live, how we preach, how we speak and act. What are those staples in your life? Romans 12, 1, 2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Your true and proper worship tells us that there's probably untrue and improper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve that God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will. Jesus, confronted by the tempter, is asked to do something that would feed his flesh. And he says, well, no, that's not important. Even though he hasn't eaten for 40 days, he says, that is not what is relevant. What is relevant is what feeds my spirit. And what feeds my spirit is what proceeds from the word and from the mouth of God. Every word he speaks feeds my spirit. Yeah, we spend so much time, when we get up in the morning, do you watch the news? Do you read the Instagram feeds? Do you go to Global BC? Do you feed yourself with all the fear and bias and all the, all the, you know, the, the division that's being propagated into us? Or do you sit down with your cup of coffee because it's God's heavenly brew? <laughs> and do you open up the word? And do you allow that to transform you? To renew you. Because can I tell you, the patterns of the world is to feed on fear, on doubt, on mistrust. But the patterns of God is to feed on love, on faith, on trust. Not in us, but in Him. To have our spirit rise up. I've seen so many of believers right across my life become so tangled and twisted and frustrated with what's happening in the world. And I'll tell you the truth, I've had those moments as well. But the more I lean into God's word, the more he untangles it. But the more I lean into the word, the word, the word of the world, the more it twists me up. And I've just learned that the pattern for me should be lean into the spirit over the flesh. And we know these things, but it's actually more practical than we could ever imagine. It's not unattainable. It's very simple, but it's a spiritual discipline. Number two, it deals with artificial faith and selfish ambition. Jesus answered him. It's also written. I love that. The counter strike. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. He's responding with a verse from Deuteronomy in which describes the Israelites in a time of hardship where they question if God is even among them. Is God even among us? And they're like, we should go back to Israel, uh, to Egypt, sorry. We should go back where things were easy, where we had food, and because they were thirsty and they didn't have water and they're complaining, where we had water. And their questioning comes from a place of self-serving perspective 
in the immediate. Well, well if we, in Egypt, we had water. But in Egypt, you also had death. And you also had chains. And you also had beatings. And you also had no freedom. But simply for water, we would fantasize over what was once our slave master. And then I talk to Christians, and it's so true, where we're trying to figure out where God's calling us, and then we, we're like, God's called me into this, and he has, and we step into it, but we haven't taken the time to fast. We haven't taken the time to remove the selfish ambition and the artificial faith that we might have, may have created, and we walk into that city, or that city, that season, very, very crippled. Because we haven't taken the time to prepare. And so when the enemy comes to Jesus and says, hey, you should throw yourself off here and watch as the angels are sent from heaven to save you. And Jesus says, you shouldn't test the Lord your God. He's not saying don't put God's word to the test. What he's saying is don't test God for selfish ambition. Because selfish ambition is there to prove the doubters wrong. But your job is not to prove the doubters wrong. Your, your job is to prove to the people that are around you that your trust is paramount in God and you don't need to put him to the test for your selfish ambition. You don't need to put him to the test for artificial faith. Really, because at the end of the day, if you're doing what you're doing to prove people wrong so that they would see you, you've got it wrong. You're doing what you're doing so that people will see God. Right? And they don't see God in somebody who is trying to do the tricks of the trade but have no character. It's that whole idea of fake it till you make it. But there's a, there's a battle going on here between the devil and, and Jesus. And I look at this and I go, well, you know what fasting does for us? It confronts our bad attitudes. It deals with the doubts in our hearts, not with the doubters. I remember when I, Emma and I were, we, we were just married and um, I sensed from God, our church at the time had put out a job to, to be filled. And I re- we honestly were in a meeting and I wasn't on staff yet. And I sensed God say, Ben, I want you to apply for that job. That one's for you. And I was like, oh, I haven't really wanted to work for church. I grew up in the church as a missionary kid and I thought it wasn't my thing. I was like the naughty kid in the family. So we're sitting in this meeting and I'm like, okay, God. And I really sensed, I was like, he's right, that is for me. And so I applied for the job, but in applying for the job, I fasted for a month. Now, at the time, to be honest with you, a part of my understanding of fasting was like, I will fast for a month and therefore God will give me what he told me he would give me. Right? And so I did, I fasted for a month and I get a phone call. I'm so excited and they call me up, Pastor Sean calls me up and goes, you didn't get the job. (laughs) What? But I fasted. (laughs) Like a month, Sean. Just on broth. I've had a hard month. And and I just remember we've given it to this person. And I was like, and and I got off the phone and I sensed God say, Hey, did I not tell you you had that job? Have we not spent a month together? You know, confirming that? Is this not a test? of your belief that I've called you into this. And I remember coming to Emma, telling her this other guy got the job. We need to poison him. No, I'm just kidding. Because um, <laughs> we've artificially got to prove that God's true and he's called me. I went to Emma and I said, look, someone else got the job, but I really feel like God said that that job's for me. I didn't go back to fasting. 
Because I had a realization in that moment, it wasn't the fasting that's going to get me the job. It was the fasting that was going to prepare me into the job. And a month later, a whole, no, it was two months later, I get a phone call from Pastor Sean again. It's, hey, the guy that we picked to do the job can't do the job. So we're offering you the job. And I was like, praise the Lord. I'm like, is it because you tried to buy a Ferrari with the Hyundai budget? <laughs> Am I the Hyundai? <laughs> That's fine. They've come a long way in recent years. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, that's the moment. Fasting wasn't to give me the job. God had already commissioned me into that role. The fasting was for my character. The fasting was for my fortitude. The fasting was for my faith. It's not about selfish ambition. It's about a focus and a relationship of trust. The reason Jesus felt no need to prove to the devil that he was loved and the Son of God was not because he was afraid. It was not because it was, he was incapable of doing what the, the enemy wanted him to do. It's because he trusted God and he was only there to bring God glory, not to jump at the, every command given by the world. His trust in the Father and his knowledge that the Father loved him was enough. Enough for what? To stand in the wilderness and where Israel had failed, he succeed. Fasting helps us mature in our relationship with God. It's the remedy to doubt. Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away my childhood behind me. Fasting changes you from being the transactional Christian that tends to be the case when we first meet Jesus. He saved me. He ransomed my payment. He paid the price for my death. Therefore, he's my savior. Fasting is one of the spiritual disciplines that removes us from that transactional thought mindset to the transformational one, which not only is is he my savior, he's my Lord. And as I follow him, my salvation is made full. Don't fall for the trap that simply saying yes to Jesus is only about getting into heaven. It gets you there. Don't get me wrong. It allows heaven to invade your space. That's great. But the fullness of salvation, as described by Jesus in the Bible, is a devout disciple of Christ following him to the ends of the earth, for the rest of their life, to the ends of the age. Fullness of salvation is spiritual disciplines applied to your life. Not that you would get into heaven, but that you would be a formidable force here on earth that you'd be in the fullness of relationship with God. Number three is this, and it's a really powerful one, and it strengthens our commitment and loyalty and faithfulness to God. I love when Jesus says to to the enemy, away from me. Imagine if we still spoke like that. Someone's just bugging you. Away from me. Away from me, Levi. Go play Pokemon Go. He says, away from me, Satan. Why? Because it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him 
only. Can I tell you right now, that whole understanding of, of, the, of the devil taking Jesus to that high mountain is a reflection of, of Moses out Mount Nebo looking over the promised land. And what the devil is trying to tempt Jesus into is to do the easy way and justify the ends, the means by the end. Do you, you get what I'm saying? Take the easy way, bow down now, and I'll give you everything. And why does the enemy say this to Jesus? Because he understands that there is a contest coming. Jesus has just been commissioned into it. And if he can make the contest not as fierce and not as destructive as it was going to be, this was his moment. Do you know what he gives Jesus? He gives Jesus a political out. Hey, come behind here. Come into the war room. Let's talk about this politically. These are my kingdoms. And I know you've come to take them and lay claim to them. But instead of us having this fierce contests where there's going to be casualties on all sides. If you were to simply bow down and worship me now, I'll give it to you. You'll get your outcome. You just have to do that. It's simple, Jesus. And we'll, we'll skip the hard part. We'll just skip the hard part. You don't have to. Can I tell you, this was the greatest of temptations because Jesus understood what had been called upon him was a sacrifice. He was marching towards the cross the moment he was baptized. Three and a half year march. I don't know about you, but if you were confronted with the reality that it was going to cost you your life to achieve what was called upon it, but someone told you that, hey, you could simply surrender and bow now and I'll give you everything you wanted. You don't have to lose this and it doesn't have to cost you this and you can live in the fullness of this even though it's all artificial. Would you do it? I know for most of us, we'd have to make sure we fasted to confront that question. We'd have to fast it. We would have had to be prepared because if you enter into that war room without any preparation of your character, without any focusing on the vision and the promise God's given you, you will compromise. You will begin to negotiate on the unnegotiable. You will begin to give territory you were never meant to give and you will begin to cede the promises of God in your life back to the enemy. Even though the one who created you, the one that set you apart, the one that sent his son to die for you, resurrect all that's in your life, has paid the price, has made a way. Even though that has happened, you will, out of fear of discomfort, a fear of loss of something you didn't have in the first place, a fear of something that might take you places you're not sure you're ready to go, you will give something to the enemy he does not deserve. Fasting equips you to say, away from me. Go away. Get out of here. Why? Because the Word of God says that we're to serve Him and worship Him alone. Fasting empowers a devotion to God that's unshakable. It helps deal with a compromising spirit. We see in John 4, 23, verse 4, and I'm asking the worship team to come up. It says this, Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and His worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is telling this to the Samaritan woman at the well when they're talking about where and how and what. There's this negotiation conversation going on and Jesus just comes out and says, you know what's taking place right now? Heaven has arrived. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
And it's no longer about what mountain, what building. It's what's happening on the inside of you. Why? Because we're spiritual. He says worshippers in spirit and in truth. He doesn't say in buildings. He doesn't say in boats, even though that would be cool. He doesn't say in car parks or on streets. He says spirit and truth. Spirit, you. Fasting feeds your spirit and illuminates the truth. So when you worship in a season of fasting, you will proceed into your next promise with absolute confidence, with absolute clarity. Fasting is like a lens on a camera that brings everything into focus, allows you to evaluate Am I actually feeding myself on the right things? Is there an artificial faith that is being projected here, a selfish ambition? Is this about my devotion to God or is this my devotion to success? Church, would you stand with me this morning because we're going to go into worship right now. But we've got a week of fasting so that God would prepare in us the character, the integrity, the spirit of faith to carry what I believe is going to be a miracle our church has never seen before. And we're a miracle working, a miracle serving church. We love our God. Look what we're standing in. Look what He's doing. Look what He's called upon us through multiple cities. These are gaps so big we cannot artificially fill them for success. We're either going to succeed or fail. But my best and most exciting point is this. The battle within is the first we must win. And so as we worship right now, and as we take a week to fast, church, we're going to win the battle within. We're going to say like Pastor Jay preached last week, hey, these are my skills. These are my callings. I'm going to serve the vision. This is my character. I'm going to carry the miracle. This is my worship. It will be in spirit and truth and we'll fight the battle. You ready? We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.